Welcome to the teaching ministry of Prophet Kevin Leon. Kevin has devoted his life to see the restoration of supernatural power in both the Word and the Spirit to this generation. Open your Bibles, open your hearts, as we join Kevin in one of his crusades from around the world. Well, tonight I believe that the Spirit of God wants to give us insight. One of the things that we have to understand about the Christian life is that the insight gives us oversight. We get to see over it. We cannot be over unless we can see over. And one of the things that I have traveled around the world, I see a lot of Christians that have a lot of data, a lot of information. But they have this inability to believe God themselves. They just have this inability to really walk in faith and they know their salvation is assured. They know they're going to go to heaven. But the promises that God has given us to have this dynamic life seems so distant and so far away. And so tonight I want to talk about how to obtain the promises of God. Your entire life in God is based on promises. And one of the reasons that the devil attacks your faith, and a word that I like to use more than faith is trust. Trusting is really more of a descriptive term because it's more personal than faith. Faith is almost like a, in English, it's like an object versus the trust. You're trusting into a person. Many times people say, well, I have faith. Well, really, you have faith in your faith or you have faith in something, but it's not in Jesus Christ. Everybody say, in Christ alone. I place my trust. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, starting in chapter 1. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we don't read it by the Spirit, we just read it by logic. We don't really hear those words in the words of the Spirit or the Spirit illuminating those words. They just are logic words and we read them and we process them like we're reading a textbook in a secular situation. But today I want to read these words and just amplify them in your hearing so hopefully that you'll begin to connect with the Holy Spirit on a personal level. Simon Peter, a servant. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, by the way, so I'm not reading from the King James or the New King James. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle, special messenger of Jesus Christ, to those who have received and obtained the privilege of like precious faith. Everybody say, like Precious faith. faith. You've obtained the privilege of like precious faith with ourselves in and through the righteousness of God and the Savior Jesus Christ. May God's grace and favor and peace, which is the perfect well-being, a necessary good, all spiritual prosperity, freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts, be multiplied to you in the full personal, precise, correct knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the reason I like to amplify it in some of the scriptures is because it amplifies some of those Hebrew and Greek words. And the Greek and the Hebrew language have a peculiar energy that is not in the English language. It's an expansive language. Hebrew especially is a picture language. Let me read that last part of it again. That The grace and the peace of God will be multiplied to you. Look how it comes. In the full, personal, precise, correct knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3. For his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness 
through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by to his own glory, excellence and virtue. Look at verse four. By means of these, he has bestowed upon us his precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed and become sharers and partakers of his divine knowledge. Now, in verse five and the rest of that chapter, it starts talking about add to your virtue, add to your diligence. And it's really a sequence of how to get strong in the personal life of God, trusting in the promises that you can really move in a thing that God has for you. For a number of years as I've traveled, there is a major disconnect between what God wants you to have and what you know. Many churches are full of principles. They're just full of principles. But the principles alone come out of God's values and the values come out of God's nature. Everybody say, the kingdom of heaven is nature driven. Out of his nature come his values. Out of his nature come his values. Out of his values come his principles. Now let me show you where the disconnect is. Because many times it's a very simple disconnect that causes us not to really function. Yesterday as I was traveling from uh, Dallas, Texas, I just come from Guatemala the day before that. Somehow I got the, the, the place where the power cord in my phone jammed and it broke the connecting point where my battery would not be charged. Now my phone works great. But my battery got low and somehow the connecting point where you put the USB cord for the power cord in my phone got broken. So even though the phone works, that little bitty connection between the power source and my battery was disrupted. And it doesn't work. Now, if I borrow somebody else's battery this charge, it works fine. But that's how the Christian life is. We go from power surge to depletion. Do you remember when Jesus had the woman with the issue of blood come near him? And when she touched him by faith, what did he say? Who touched me? Why? Because he said virtue has gone out of me. The word virtue there means life force. How many of you realize it takes a life force just to stay saved? It just takes God's life force to resist temptations, resist lust, resist greed. It just takes life force. Well, what happens is if I use a life force, but I never get it replenished, it's very, very difficult for me to believe God. And I'm a big guy on sequence. I believe that God is a God of sequence. I believe that it's not random that if you do things out of sequence, many times what you want as the end result will not happen because you, whether inadvertently or by lack of knowledge, you disrupted the sequence. Now, what happens if I try to teach you spiritual things and you're not born again? I can read the Bible to you, but if you're not born again, what happens? You don't get that illumination. You just don't have that, that flaming up where you understand what God is really saying. So now we're back to the beginning again. The kingdom of heaven is what driven? Now listen to me very carefully. I don't ask you to repeat to me, 
just because I want you to shout to me. But it's a learning process. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And what happens? There is a there is a divine process that happens that when you speak it out of your mouth, hear it with your ears, something starts creating inside of you. And repetition is the mother of all learning. How many of you know that sheep have four stomachs? Sheep have four stomachs. Sheep are ruminators. So when you teach something one time, guess what happens? It goes to the first stomach of a human. Because you are compared to a sheep. How many know that there's four gospels? Why? There's four stomachs of a sheep. In the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers out of the garden. Why? Because God expects us to chew this thing. So the sheep gets that word, that grass, takes it to the first stomach. The juices in the stomach starts breaking down the roughage. They bring it back up again. They chew it some more. Second stomach. Chew it again. Third stomach. Chew it again. Then finally it processes out. So many times we try to get people to understand something by just one declaration, but they've never meditated on it. They've never chewed it. And it never becomes yours. It never becomes you. All right. It goes in, goes right out. You don't chew on it. And so one of my big concerns about life in the church is that I think a lot of people are overfed data, but they've never chewed it. So can we chew some stuff today? I mean, can we really chew some stuff today? Listen to me. It's better to hit one nail five times than five nails one times. Because you'll get that thing. Say the kingdom of heaven. Is nature, driven. is nature driven. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven is, nature driven. is nature driven. Now, out of your nature comes your values. Why? Because that's how it works. When God says, don't take my name in vain, what he was really saying is the word name is the word nature. So when you say, God damn this or God damn that, That is not really what he was talking about. He was talking about, don't pervert my intentions that come out of my nature. All right? So out of his nature comes his values. Say values. Out of his nature come his? Out of his values come his principles. The kingdom of heaven is? The kingdom of heaven is? And out of your nature comes your? And out of your values comes? So if all I teach is principles, but I never get people into the nature, what happens? There's a disconnect. See, that's what Jesus told the Pharisees. You know the principles, but you've rejected me who is the representative of the nature of God. So that means you can actually have a full life of principles, but when God shows up, you reject him. Because you have disconnected the principles from the nature. I've got a lot of friends that are apostles and prophets and so forth. And it's amazing how many of them talk about apostolic principles, but they really don't have an apostolic nature. Under that nature. And God wants us to understand the nature. And I'm going to show you why in just a second. The Bible says that He wants us to have the peace and the grace of God multiplied. And the next thing it says is that you may have full understanding in the person of Christ. Can I tell you why so many people don't have the promises of God answered? How many of you ever read that scripture where it says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it for you. 
Well, how many of you have ever asked something in God's name, so to speak, in Jesus' name? We get around a lot of really, said, Lord, we just asked you to give us money in Jesus' name. Am I the only person that gets irritated when they say that? It's like they go, Jesus' name. It's like, here's the, the, the religious poem. Here's my request, and I put on the tag, in Jesus' name. You know what the problem with that is? He said, if you ask anything in my name, we use it as a formula. Change the word name to nature. Ah. If you ask anything in my nature, in alignment with my nature, then I'll do it for you. How many see that we've been having a lot of prayers that God's never going to answer Because we've been taking our human desires and nature and we just tag on the end in Jesus' name. I claim that good-looking young girl in Jesus' name. So a lot of times we take our principles disconnected from his nature and we add the addendum in Jesus' name. And then we say, it doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. I sowed my money, but I didn't get the answer. You know why? You didn't have his nature. You just had in Jesus' name. And so what's going to happen tonight is God wants to realign your sequence so you start getting your prayers answered. How many realize that getting your prayers answered is a huge deal if I'm a son and a daughter of God? How many want your prayers answered about money? Well, if you're not that excited, transfer your money to me. I'll be glad to take it. i got to go to the nations. All right. So one of the reasons that I'm talking about this is because I meet a lot of frustrated, charismatic Pentecostal people. They pray in tongues. They feel the presence. They have the power in the sanctuary. But when they go to the everyday life situations, it's like Christianity turns off for them. And God says, I want to help you come into a place of divine prosperity, divine fulfillment. And let me just say this. Prosperity for finances, power for miracles, uh, influence for evangelism, all of it has the same root. Knowing his person... And believing his promises. Everything in God is a promise. Everything is a promise. That's why he chose Abraham. Because Abraham believed the promise. Of having children. When he did not have the chance of children. Because his wife was barren. Abraham wasn't shooting blanks. But Sarah was. How many realize that it's tough when you got the thing. But you got to believe for somebody else to have it. So he had this promise from God. So prophetic promises must be fulfilled from the person of Christ himself. Now notice as he said that you would have the deep, intimate, full knowledge of Jesus Christ himself. What is that saying? You need to get sucked up, connected in the nature of the person of Christ. Then it will be easy to believe the promises of God. Everything God does has patterns in scriptures. What's the first command that he gave Israel? 
Hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, for the Lord your God is what? One God. Now you love him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. The name, you start loving yourself. Why is that important? Because I will never believe for something greater than how I see myself. If I see myself as unworthy, if I see myself as not a son, I'll have a hard time believing for the promises because I don't think I deserve them. I'll have insecurities, so on and so forth. So the last outworking of God's power is to other people. Now, if you take that backwards, that we got to save the lost at any cost, we got to get the hurting people, we got to help them, and you never fulfill the first commandment, guess what? You've never connected yourself sufficiently to the nature of God. You've never had your identity grown up in God. And so when you want to believe the promises about what God will give you, you don't have any faith in it. You don't have any trust in it. And that's what he's basically saying. Let's read it again. Second Peter, chapter 2, starting in verse 3. And I want you to see the sequence, because once you see the sequence, everything starts changing inside of your life. For his divine power, let's go back up to verse 2. May grace God's favor and peace, which is perfect well-being and all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity, freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts, be multiplied to you in the full personal, precise, correct knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. So first, we have intimate knowledge with his nature. I get connected to his nature. Everything changes when I get that. Verse 3, his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness to the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellent virtue. Look at verse 4. By means of these, these are the conduits, everything hangs on a promise. Everybody say, everything hangs on a promise. Everything hangs on a promise. By means of these, he has bestowed upon us his precious and exceeding great promises, so that through them, notice it's through the promise, that you may escape by flight from moral decay, rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed, and become sharers and partakers of the divine nature. What is God's purpose that your nature reflect his nature? Do you see this? This is why Christ had such an easy time believing the promises. Because the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is what? How many see that? And so we are trying to preach to people who have a weak or deflated image of the nature of God. Go back to Genesis. For I have made God in my image and my likeness. The image of the God that you serve is his nature. The likeness is how you think or how he thinks. So if I don't ever get the nature thing right, I'm going to have a difficult time thinking like him. And so when we got to the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a choice between nature and information. So when Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what happened? She left off of the tree of the nature of God. Turn to your neighbor and look at him and say, God doesn't want you to be good. 
Come on, say it with authority. God doesn't want you to be good. Now, most Christians go, what the is it? What are you talking about, man? But what was the name of the tree of death? The tree of the knowledge of what? Good and so would eating on the good side produce death? Come on. How many of you can't be good enough to get to heaven? Isn't that what you tell all the sinners? You're not good enough to go to heaven. Well, why would you think that we can eat off the tree of the good and the, and the evil and not go to the tree of his nature? See, the more I eat from his nature, the more I have trust in his promises. Do you understand that? How many realize and have frustration? It shouldn't be this hard to be an overcoming Christian. It shouldn't be this hard to get my prayers answered. It shouldn't be this hard to build a church. It shouldn't be this hard to have a family. It, it shouldn't be this hard to have marriage. Can I tell you why most marriages fail? Because they live in the law of God, not the life of God. See, God's plan was never that you live by law. And anytime you use the word law, it really means principles. It just means principles. The laws of God are the principles of God. Matter of fact, it says in 2 Corinthians, it says that the letter of the law kills you. But the Spirit gives the nature or the life of God. Now, here was the natural outflow when we really have the strong nature of God. It's easy to believe His promises. Can I tell you that God never designed that you hear the word of God outside of his presence? You were never designed to hear God's word outside of presence. You know what happens when you hear God's word outside of presence? It becomes data and is hard to believe. So the spirit and the word agree. So what happens if I have word but no spirit? Come on, talk to me now. It produces death. Jesus said in John 6, 6, 3, he said the words and the Greek word there is rhema. The word I speak is not just a dead letter law, but when I speak it, it's life. How many know that you're made of the breath of God? Now, remember I said Jesus said the woman touched me and virtue went out of me. Tell your neighbor, say, I got a spiritual leak. Why, it takes presence, it takes virtue to live your life. Has anybody been around people that you want to smack them, but because you're, you got God and you don't do it? They're so ugly to you, you just want to just say, you ought to be glad I'm saved, girl. Sucker, you ought to be glad I pray in tongues. Why? It's the restraining power of the virtue of God stopping your animal nature from manifesting. How many have ever heard about the mark of the beast? Can I tell you that everybody here, you already have the mark of the beast. Now, if you listen to a lot of end time prophecy guys, you're freaking out right now. The mark of the beast is not just some guy in Belgium with a giant computer. It's not some antichrist. The word antichrist really means substitute. And the Bible said there are many antichrists already in the world. 
many antichrists. The book of Revelation said that the number of the antichrist is what? Come on, talk to me, theologians. What is it? 666. Hmm. Let's examine that for a second. What day did God make man? On the sixth day. Six, six, six. Hmm. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So when you should respond to the Father, but you act like a man, we have one six. When you should connect with the Son of God, but you act like a man, we have the second six. When you don't respond to the Holy Ghost, but you act in your human flesh, we have the third six. My friend, the mark of the beast is your flesh. How do you overcome the mark of the beast? By being so full of the nature and the life of God that it overcomes that thing. Do you think that Jesus called the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herod animal names just for kid, kid talk? Like it was immaturity of the Son of God saying, you snake, you wolf, you pig, you dog, you hog, you fox. What was he doing? He was identifying the nature they were living from. There are two kind of deadly snakes. Number one's a viper. The other one is a constrictor. There are some relationships that just talking to them for a half an hour, all your faith is gone, all your strength is gone. Anybody know people like that? You're happy, you're glorious, and after a half an hour talking to them, you wonder if you're even saved. You wonder, my God, my God, I, I guess I'm not ever called. I, I guess the business is going to fail. Why? You've been snake bit. When a viper bites you, it injects a neurotoxin that paralyzes you. Oh, oh, oh my God. I thought God called me. I thought I was really good in God. I thought I, I could really do these things. You've been snake bit. And I'm here to detoxify you today. I'm going to get that venom out of your thinking. There's another kind of snake called a constrictor. It wraps his life around you and it squeezes the blood supply and it squeezes the breath out of you. They kill relationships and they get the Holy Spirit out of your life. There's a snake in there somewhere. You've been to a dead, I mean a dead church. They've been dead for a long time. Guarantee you there's religious snakes that are sucking the life and relationships out of that situation. So when Jesus identified a beast nature, he was saying, you are living opposite of the father's nature. You're living to an animal nature. And that's why he called you a beast. Anybody know anything about the tabernacle of Moses? What did he say to do? Make the top of the tabernacle dead animal skins. Why? The only way the church can be built is when the flesh animal nature dies. Some of y'all have some dying to do. Tell your neighbor, say, I'd like you better dead than alive. I'd like to, I like it when you're dead more than when your flesh is alive. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you that the animal nature can't believe the promises of God? You just can't believe the promises of God from your animal nature.
I've got to have a new nature. That's why it says, by the full, intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ, then it says we have these prophetic promises, these exceeding great promises, but by them, everything God promises, finances, family, ministry, everything comes to a promise. Somebody say, everything Everything. comes to a promise. Everything Everything. comes to a promise. But you can only believe the promises by living in the nature of the Son. Is anybody getting some illumination? That's why the deeper your worship, the easier it is to believe the promises. See, a lot of times if you have real weak worship in a church, they worship maybe three or four minutes and they never get into the presence of God. And then the guy talks for 45 minutes on principles. I guarantee you people have a struggle really believing the promises in that church. Years ago, the Spirit of God said to me, he said, Kevin, I'm assigning you to find my people. I said, where are your people at? He says, they're in church. But they're hiding in principles. They're hiding in principles. You know, this is one of the most frustrating things for a guy like Pastor Steve. He's got that evangelistic grace on him. He looks at a bunch of people in church. Don't you care about the lost? Don't you care about a dying world? Don't you care about hurting people? And they look at him and said, but we know the principles of God. And they'll say, amen, brother. Thank you, Jesus. I agree with that. But they really don't have the nature that really corresponds with action. See, action only comes out of your nature. Everybody say, you do what your nature is. Come on, get with me. Say, you do what your nature is. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans? He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, I do. And he says, who shall deliver me from the nature of this man operating inside of me? And then he talks about death. Now, why am I saying this? Because I believe that many of you that are hearing my voice, there is such incredible prophetic promises over your life. See, a lot of times I walk in church years ago when I first started moving in the things of God. I, I had a Catholic background when I first got saved in 1971. God gave me a prophetic word, and he said this. If you will go talk to my people about their sins and get them saved, I'll visit your entire family. And I was the oldest of a Catholic family of eight kids plus two parents. I was the only one saved in my entire family. I began to witness to ten people a day, and within two years, my entire family, all nine other members scattered in different parts of the United States, Some was in Africa, one was in Hawaii, others in California. All of them got saved in two years. You know why? There's a principle of whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And I began to witness and share my faith, and that's where I bumped into the supernatural. That's where I really got a hold of the things of God. And one of the frustrating things that happens in churches is that when I give prophetic words to people, I said, is that true? Yes. Has God been talking to you about that? Yes. And I'll meet them three years later. They said, Kevin, I'm still believing in that word. 
and I'll do a little bit further investigation. Well, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about your worship life. It's flat. It's dead. You know why they can't get their prophecies fulfilled? Because prophecies are just promises. They're not automatic. Almost every single, 80% of the promises through a prophecy are conditional. Say prophecies are conditional. For you to be in that nature, to know the principles, go through the process. And that's why we have these glorious prophetic meetings, but people never get their answers most of the time because they're not doing what it says in Second Peter chapter 1. They're not intimately becoming more and more acquainted with the person of Christ. And so they hear the principles. And let me tell you something, folks. I love good preaching that's anointed. But sitting under anointed preaching doesn't make it a reality in my life. Let me prove it to you. Does anybody know the scripture in the book of John where Jesus blew on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? How many know that scripture? Now, let me ask you a question. Remember, you use virtue. You use virtue to stay holy and strong. How long should the breath of Jesus on those apostles and disciples should have lasted? How long should it have lasted? Now, remember, you use virtue. If you're going to be holy, going to be strong, going to be anointed, going to do miracles. Every time I lay hands on somebody, virtue comes out of me. Every time I prophesy, virtue comes out of me. How many agree to that? Say, oh, brother Kevin, I felt something when you lay hands on me. That was at my expense. Something that I got a hold of God came out of me. It was a vessel movement. He pours in me, then he pours out of me. But how many realize if you keep pouring, there's going to come a place where you get empty? Now, let me tell you the context. You'll catch this thing. Jesus was about to ascend to his father to show himself as the Lamb of God and said, my blood has covered this thing. It's finished. There was going to be about a 50 day distance between when Jesus left to go to heaven to the time where they're going to be at the day of Pentecost. He said, I'm not going to be with you, boys. But it's better if I leave because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Believe for the Father's promise. Everybody said the promise of the Father. Now, if you catch this, your life will change. There's a 50-day segue between Jesus leaving them and the Holy Spirit coming to them. So what does Jesus do? He breathes on them. Here, guys, this will hold you over for 50 days. This is just the gas in your spiritual tank till the day of Pentecost. Now, watch why is this important. We go from anointed teachers, preachers, prophets, and we get breathed on. Man, that was a good meeting. Woo! Man, when Prophet Kevin, I got a word, hallelujah. Man, I just felt something come over my body. I couldn't stop crying. You know what that was? Me just breathing on you till you could get to the Holy Ghost. Is anybody seeing this? That's why many Christians in this city are addicted to anointed men but their life is a yo-yo. They go from meeting where they get blown on. But that's not supposed to be your life force. You're supposed to get to him. You're supposed to get his nature. 
You're supposed to be a fountain. Isn't that what he said? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So once you find him, it's good if men blow on you. It's good if I get a word, but it's not going to change my destiny because I found the fountain. I got this river flowing out of me. Does anybody see why we have such erratic saints? They're up and they love God. But they're living from anointing to anointing, from men to men. Now, let me give you one more so you can begin to see why this is so important. All these are types and shadows of a reality in Christ. This is not just principles. This is explaining how God designed humanity to come into divinity. This is how he made it happen. When Israel came out of Egypt, where's the first place God took them for a spiritual visitation? He took them to the mountain. Now watch this. In Exodus 20, they get to the mountain. Moses says, sanctify yourself, clean yourself up, get all the sin out of your life, because we're going to go see God at the mountain. Do all your heavy-duty repenting, all the foolishness you've been involved in. They get to the mountain, what happens? There's a huge cloud on Mount Sinai, the glory of God. Lightning, thunder. When they approach the mountain, they say, Moses, we don't like this. God starts speaking the Ten Commandments. They said, Moses, we don't like this. Look what happens. They say, Moses, we don't like church like this. It's too much presence, too much fear of the Lord, too much glory. Would you please help us? Would you go up to talk to God and then tell us what God says? In that moment, Moses lost control of his church. Here's why. When Moses came back from God, even though he was anointed to the people, it was just education. What God wanted was for the people to have a personal visitation. You know what's wrong with our churches? We got lots of education, but we need a new visitation. Tell you, they say, you got to find him for yourself. Come on, you got to find him for yourself. Every one of us has a leak. And when my devotional life gets weak, I get weak. When I don't, I don't spend the time in the nature of God, no matter if you've been saved 30 years, you cannot live on the memory of what happened in the other days. I've got to find him new every morning. There is manna in the morning. I've got to get a word every morning. Now, you can go for a little while on memories. You can go for a little while on the residue of what you got three or four years ago. But I'm going to tell you something. You will never step into today until you have that divine daily communion with Christ himself. Why? Because that's where the power is. And then when the promises come... It's easy to believe the promises because I've been living in the nature. It's not hard. Has anybody ever heard preaching that when the guy preaches it, you know it's in the Bible, but it seemed so far away. And you can be healed. Yeah, but uh, you can have prosperity. Yeah, but uh, you can get the devils cast out of your crazy kids. Yeah, but uh. You can build a great church. Yeah, but uh, you know why they seem so, you know why promises seem so hard to apprehend? Not because the promises are so far away. It's because you're not close to the nature. Now, let me tell you folks, I've been doing this for a long, long time. 
And I don't need the practice anymore. I've had plenty of practice. I've prophesied over thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in the last 38 years. I'm tired of practicing. I want some folks that will overcome. I'm sure Pastor Steve, he's tired of taking teams out, having miracles and people get saved. And then what happens? The workers that he's working with, what happened? Mm, you know, it was fun for a while. And they end up in some dead principal church that they're saved. What's the real issue? They're far away from the nature of God. And the promises and the, the things that God said to hope for are far away. And God said today, I want to bring you close to me. I wish I could get some help in this Episcopalian church. <laughs> See, a lot of times we have apostolic and prophetic teaching, but we have an Episcopalian Catholic Baptist experience with the Holy Ghost. You got better doctrine than they do, but you don't have the same life as the doctrine that you have. I was just in a church in Guatemala. I was in Guatemala three weeks last, last month. We got 4,000 people spirit-filled in Pentecostal charismatic churches. Now tell me how come that happened? Because they had Pentecostal apostolic prophetic doctrine with a Baptist Episcopalian Presbyterian experience. They had the right teaching, but they never had the right experiences. Can I tell you that in Christianity we go from experience to experience, not education to education? And many times in this city, churches are ashamed of a real outpouring of God's Spirit in their midst. They're ashamed of God touching flesh. They're ashamed of crying. They're ashamed of demons coming out. They're ashamed of people uncontrollably weeping. They want everything to be in order by man's standard. How many realize on the day of Pentecost it was chaos? They said, these people like, like they're drunk. But in God's mind, it was order. It was the order of heaven, not the order of religion. Now, why am I saying this? If you're hearing me, God is going to begin to come close to you. Because God wants you to be a son more than you want to be a son. God wants you to be a daughter more than you want to be a daughter. God wants you to be the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher more than you had that on your business card or the diploma on your wall. See, some of you got degrees, but you don't have him. You've been in man-made classes and what you really need is a visitation. You need a visitation that surpasses your education. A lot of people are educated beyond their obedience and they're educated beyond their experience with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God said, I'm coming to rectify that. I said, I'm coming to rectify that. And let me just say, because a lot of people, they, when they read the Bible, they read it with religious natures. They read it with Baptist glasses, dead Pentecostal glasses. Dead charismatic word of faith glasses. But you know something? I believe that if Jesus and Peter and Paul wore a suit from Sears and preached in our churches, we wouldn't like them. 
We wouldn't like Elijah if he showed up. We wouldn't like John the Baptist. If we, we quote his scriptures, but I think we would reject his nature if he got among us. Can I tell you that the real move of God is like a surgeon. A surgeon will hurt you, but they will not harm you. A real surgeon will cut you open, and that hurts. But they will remove the cancer out of your body, and that will heal you. See, we got to say, God hurt me so you can heal me. There is religious cancer in this organization right now. There is religious dead works in the people in this room. Well, you say, well, Kevin, you're offending me. Well, I'm just like Jesus. He said, blessed are you if you're not offended. Why? I'm fixing to offend you. The way of all spiritual growth is offense. Peter, do you want to be my disciple? Yes, I do. Who am I? Oh, you're the Messiah. Four verses later, I must go to Jerusalem and be crucified. Oh, no, Lord, not you. He says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus called him the devil. He said, the devil's talking out of you, Peter. Now, he had a chance to get offended. Like some of you right now. But the evidence of nature is life. The evidence of walking in his nature is the transfer of life. And it's going to be automatic. It's not going to be something we got to provoke you and make you and dominate you. It's just what it is. He said if the branch is in the vine, it's going to automatically produce fruit. Why? It's the nature of the tree you're, you're connected to. So we got to have the promises of Christ, but before that, we got to meet the person of Christ. You know what my passion is in this last decade? Is to convert Christians back to Christ. I want to convert Christians back to Christ. You got principles, you got rituals, you got order, you got doctrine, but where's Jesus in all this? And when you really find Jesus, there is something that changes in your nature. You become sensitive to the broken. You become an evangelist to the lost. You become a prophet to a dead church. You become apostolic to a lost And you want to colonize the city that you're in. You want to explain the scripture like a teacher to the ignorant. Why? Because the nature of manifestation of a Christ in you always results in life being transferred. That's what the fivefold ministry do. God sets you in your nature so you recognize His nature so that when I'm around the ignorant, I become a teacher. When I'm around the lost, I become an evangelist. When I'm around the religious, I become a prophet. When I see somebody that needs to be sent to, I become apostolic. When I see the broken, I become pastoral. Why? That's His nature. The kingdom of heaven is nature-driven. And if you don't have the nature, it's, then it's man-driven. When the nature is not there, it's man-driven. Institution-driven. Is anybody hearing the voice of God tonight? Listen, I could have been a hundred different places and a hundred different other cities, but I'm here. I, listen, 
you don't have enough money to give me the money I need to go to the nation. So I'm here because I want to be here. You know why? I believe in Steve Bartlett. And I know this man is so frustrated because the passion that he has can't be done by one man. It's got to be done by a body. But if the body doesn't have the nature of the one that's sending it, it's going to be driving this and pushing this and trying to make you become this and converting you over and over again when the nature is the conversion point. I'm converted by his nature. When I see his nature, my nature changed. Everybody say, beholding and becoming. Say it again. The very nature of worship is whatever I worship, I become like. That's why when the devil said, worship me, it wasn't just a little light thing. It says, take on my nature, Jesus. I'll give you all of this if you bow down. Whatever you worship is with the nature you will have. And that's why Jesus said, worship God first. And the nature will flow out of you like a river. The kingdom of heaven is what? The kingdom of heaven is what? And out of the natures come as what? And out of his values come as? But if I don't have his nature and his values, what happens? I have the dead letter of the law and that turns into man-made religion. Now, one of the things that God's really been putting on my heart is the promises of God for the different things that God has for you. If you could see in the spirit realm right now, if you're hearing me by a CD, if you could see in the atmosphere around your home, your business, your ministry location... The Bible says that we have been given exceeding and great promises. How many realize that what made Abram great and changed his name is that he believed the promise that was hanging over him? What came first, the promise or the experience? No, he had an experience with God first. Abraham had this experience where God visits, God began to speak to him. Abram, I've called you out. Leave your father's house. And then the promise came. You know what we've been trying to do to people? We want to substitute a visitation for explanation. And call it a God moment. we got thousands of churches all over this nation. They're like dry wood, dry bones. They're the sleeping church, the unconscious ministry. And what God wants to do through some of you is to wake them up by giving them a divine experience. Come on, I want you to raise your hand and say, Holy Spirit, breathe on me again. Give me a new experience. So I can believe the promises for my life. Give me a divine experience. Equal to the promises over my life. Give me a divine experience. Equal to the promises in my life. Now meditate on that. Now let me just tell you what I've, I've been doing this. I'm coming on my 40th year as a Christian. 
I've never waned in my passion. But let me tell you what happened the first two years I was a Christian. Number one, I had an out-of-body experience when I got saved. I was taken out of my body, had a visitation, and I didn't know it was that till after about two years I recognized what had happened to me. I just knew I had a God visitation. Then the first two years I was taken to heaven twice. The third year I was taken to hell. I saw what hell is like. That's why I really like Steve Bartlett because he's trying to save men from that place. I've been there. I know where they're going so I can connect with them. I'm not called as an evangelist. I'm called as a prophet to wake up the church. But I really love his ministry because I've been to hell. He said, well, why did you have those experiences? Because they're equal to the promises over my life. See, some of you, you've never pressed into God to have an experience equal to the promises over your life. Moses had to have a burning bush experience. Paul had to be knocked off his horse into Damascus Road. Peter had to have that cockle-doodle-doo moment where he was broken and bitter when he saw his heart that he had principle, but he needed to love Jesus again. And what God wants to do, there's no way I can help you long-term in one meeting until I point you to Jesus. Do you have an experience equal to the promise over your life? Paul never stopped talking about the Damascus Road experience. He never, he kept saying it over and over. Why? He said, I will not be disobedient to the heavenly vision that came in that experience. Moses never stopped having the power of God. And he kept referring to, I met him on the mountain. God spoke to me in a cloud. He put his finger on rock. Why? Those experiences shape us to believe the promises that are coming to us. God wants to give you an experience equal to the promises in your life. And you young people, ignore the religious community you've been placed in. Ignore them. Why? Because if you don't have testimonies of visitations and angels coming, I've had angels come to my room. Remember the first time I had an angel come, I had a warrior angel come to my room. I had been, I was 21 years old, I had been saved about eight months, and I began to read the Bible. I said, Lord, you sent an angel to Mary, you sent an angel to Daniel, send me an angel. And one afternoon I was laying in bed, and an angel came. And don't let anybody tell you that when angels come, you can stand in their presence. If you get the right kind of angel, you shrink. I understand now the scripture where it says that Daniel felt like a dead man. I pulled the blanket over my face and hid from that thing. And I heard the Lord say, oh, mighty man of God, what's happening to you now? Because I had no idea how awesome the realm of the spirit was. So I'm saying ignore the dead religious systems because the kingdom of heaven is not word, but it's power, it's experiences in God. The whole book of Acts is experience to experience. It says in Acts, Acts chapter 4, and they prayed and the place where they prayed was shaken. That's a physical shaking. It was an earthquake on the building. The whole building began to shake. How many know that you could speak with boldness after an experience like that? 
Can I say you're only as bold as your current experience with God? The Bible says, since we have received this visitation, we speak with great boldness. Telling people to be bold and courageous will never make them bold and courageous. Never. You've got, you know why the children of Israel never made it out of the desert? Because they resisted the experience that God had for them on the mountain. And when they met the giants, they saw themselves as grasshoppers, not overcomers. Why? They weren't grasshoppers. They were promised ones, but they never had a sufficient visitation to believe the promise that God had for them. So God passed the promise to their children. Some of you, you're just a baby factory and God's going to get the promise to your children if you don't grab a hold of it. I don't know about you. I don't want my kids to be my my promisers. I, I want to get it myself. I want them to look back to grandpa and say, man, grandpa Kevin had a thing with God when he preached. God showed up because he got a hold of God in his private time. You will never be more powerful in public than you are connected in private. I said, you will never be more powerful in public than you are connected in private. I said, you will never be more powerful in public than you are connected in private. And so here we have this thing with Peter. You have been given exceeding great and precious promises that by these you can escape the corruption of the world through lust. And be a partaker of the divine nature. You know what the dream of the Father is? That you partake of His divine nature. See, we have a lot of people in a position without the nature. They got a business card, a title, and a degree, but they do not have the divine nature. God doesn't care about Bible schools and seminaries if they don't produce nature. Matter of fact, many times a seminary will kill the faith you have. They'll get your mind so twisted up with 12 different kinds of doctrine and theologies that when you walk out of them, you lose the simplicity of Christ. You lose your innocence. You lose your innocence. You just lose your innocence. I spend a lot of time in Central South America. I know people with sixth grade educations. And they're raising dead people. (laughs) It's not education. It's a visitation. I know little bitty brown people on top of a mountain that have churches of thousands that really have not great theology. But they've had a visitation. Now we got to make a decision, America. Our nation is stuck in principles. But we've missed the person of Jesus Christ. Today in this room, God is saying, I'm calling you. 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 The promises of God are hanging over your life. They're hanging over your life. And there are some things that will never happen in the earth unless they happen through you. God will raise up your replacement. I said, God will raise up your replacement. Turn your Bible to 
First Timothy chapter four, verse 14, reading down to verse 16. Now, let me give you the context of this. Paul, the aged apostle, the warrior. Listen, I tell you that most Christians wouldn't like Paul in the church. Number one, he looked like he was in a car wreck. He stuttered and stammered. I guarantee you, Paul had missing teeth. You know why? He was stoned and left for dead. I believe that Paul was dead and God raised him up again. But he was in a rock fight and he didn't fight back. And it, it, it was, I guarantee you he had teeth missing because he said his speech. How many realize that when you're missing teeth, your speech is impeded? Pray the Lord, saints. I so thank you so much for the grace of God to come in your life. You try to talk with no teeth. They always have articulation problems. He was bald-headed, history says, a little bald-headed for a Jew, about five foot two. I guarantee he had massive scar damage on his face and his head. He didn't look like the epitome of a real profile of a theologically trained minister. He looked like probably a homeless hobo until he began to minister. We want the shiny hair, shiny shoes, alligator briefcase, degrees, but they got no nature. And he writes his disciple, young Timothy, whom he had laid hands upon and prophesied to. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. He was in a divine presbytery. When everybody began to prophesy about his gift and his calling, he was given prophetic promises. At that time, a gift began to manifest in his life. Did the men put the gift in him or did they just reveal the gift that God put in there? They just revealed the gift of God. He began to have that awareness. Look what he said in verse 15. Meditate on these things and then give yourself entirely to them. Can I tell you that there's a time in the life of every person who's a real disciple that you make a decision, I'm going to give myself to my gift. We see it in sports all the time. A Michael Jordan or a a, a great athlete. They excel because they give themselves to that gift. They deny themselves other things. I'm going to give myself to the gift. See, a lot of you in this room today, you've not totally obeyed this scripture. You've neglected your gift. You don't treat your gift as a divine endowment from a God who's trying to redeem you, your family, your city, and your nation. The secret of ministry is giving yourself to your gift. Somebody say, the secret of ministry is giving yourself to your gift. Now, we got a lot of people that are misidentified in this city. To be misidentified is to be disqualified. So many, everybody wants to be an apostle. I'm an apostle. There's more apostles. They got a, they got a religious apostleitis. I'm an apostle. You got 20 people. You got no apostolic faith. You don't even have a passport to get out of the country. How are you going to be an apostle? I look at your leadership, broke down, look like the Three Stooges, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I mean, you ain't no apostle. J- 
Just be honest about what you're not so you can focus on what you are. To be misidentified is to be disqualified. To be misidentified is to be disqualified. Why? It's the seeds of ministry malpractice. Medical malpractice is misdiagnosis. If I misdiagnose something, I put the wrong application and solution, and it's called malpractice, bad practice. If I don't have clear identification of who and what I am, how can I give myself to my gift? I, got, I know guys that are pastors that have the apostle title. You don't like to fight. If you don't like to fight, you are not an apostle. The word apostle finds its root in the Greek word apostolos, which means a general or an admiral of a fleet of ships going to colonize a nation. You like to fight. You want confrontation. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua, here's what he said. Go pick a fight. Go pick a fight with the inhabitants of that land. There is a provoking thing on real apostles. They're not warm and fuzzy people, my friends. They want to fight. Prophets are the same way. They want to fight. They want to call. They want to kill what's killing God's people. Look at John the Baptist. He was picking a fight. How do you know? You don't call religious hierarchy snakes unless you want to fight. I am the bishop of the church. I'm the first of the many brethren. I'm on the Sanhedrin of the assemblies of whatever. Snake, you just pick the fight. <laughs> Apostles and prophets like to fight. Why? They're like David. They want to chase the lion down and pull their jaws open and take the lamb out of the lion's mouth. Pastors don't like to fight. They like to comfort. They like to nurture. They'll every now and then they'll spank a little bit. But they don't want to fight Goliath and lions and bears. And they're not supposed to. They're not equipped for it. They're into long-term care of the sheep. And they like that. You try to put an apostle and a prophet to take care of the sheep long-term, they kill the sheep. They do. I was just with Apostle John Eckhart this morning, and I was talking about the difference between an apostle and a pastor. I said, a pastor, when he sees you wounded, he says, you all right, man? I'm, I'm still sore. The devil really got me bad. Oh, you just calm down. Stay right there. We'll take care. When you're fully healed, we'll put you back to work. You know how apostles are? How you doing, brother? Oh, my left leg. It still hurts. He says, how's your right leg? It's, it's okay. Well, we'll get a set of crutches and let's kick the devil with your right leg. Evangelist the same way. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm really going through it. Well, you know what will make you feel better? Passing out tracks. Go out there and pass out tracks. The three that are made for warfare are the apostle, the prophet, and they're made for war. They like to fight. Last time I was here, Steve was talking about doing a gang member funeral 
And he says, this, here's a dead guy. He's got a gun in his hand in the casket. His hands have gang signs. He says, you're all going to hell. You're going to kill everyone. And the guy, they, they want to kill him. And I said, how did you feel? I said, I felt good about it. He said, I felt good about it. Well, that's not pastors and teachers. Teachers like classroom churches. Pastors like hospital churches. It's their nature. It's their nature. And so what he, what, what he was told by Paul, he says, give yourself to your gift. Today I want to tell you, give yourself to your gift. Well, Kevin, I'm not called to be a five-fold minister. He didn't say that. You're called to something in the kingdom. I don't care if you're called to hospitality, make cookies. How many realize you can feed somebody a cookie and that'll bring them close enough to cast the devil out of them? Here's a cookie. I'm going to cast the devil out of you. Come enjoy some hospitality. And while you're eating a cookie, I command Satan to come out of you. If that's how God uses you. But if everybody gives themselves to their gift. And then when he says, meditate on these things. You know what happens when you meditate on your gift? The Holy Spirit will drop down in your thinking and he will begin to think with you. He'll start showing you things that you would have never thought of. See, a lot of you are... When the Pastor Steve would just recognize me. If Pastor Steve would just call me out and give me some money, I would be in. No, no, no. You need to go ahead and get a hold of God. Give yourself to your gift. Meditate on it. And the Spirit of God will drop down in you and begin to show you how that thing works. Look at verse 15. Meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them. That your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself. There you go. There's yourself again. And to the teaching of the doctrine. Because whatever you believe is the way you act. Thinking comes before doing. You got bad theology. You don't think God will do a certain thing. You won't do a certain thing. Take heed to yourself in the doctrine. Continue in them. For by doing this you will save both yourself and those that hear you. Tonight in this room, God is going to prevent, to provoke you. Tonight in this room, God is going to begin to provoke many of you to give yourself to your gift. Now, folks, this is not a believer's meeting. This is a, a disciple's meeting. See, the difference between a believer and a disciple is the difference between the Boy Scouts and the Marines. They're both organized. But the Boy Scouts, you can't put too much pressure on them. We're going to camp out. And if any of you start crying for mommy, we'll put the cell phone. You can talk to mommy. If you really get the crying a lot, we'll take you home. But if you're called the Marines, they both wear uniforms. But we're training for combat. We're training to overcome something. And you understand, I don't teach this on Sunday morning. My attitude is different. I'm more pastor teacher. I'm, I'm a little bit more humorous. Why? Because I'm dealing with unformed people that are just believers who haven't made up their mind to be disciples. 
But if you come to a Steve Bartlett meeting and a Kevin Lill meeting on a Sunday night, I'm going to assume you want to do something for God. And I'm not going to talk baby talk to you. And I'm not going to just say, would you please with sugar on it, serve the Lord thy God. That's not this kind of meeting. How many realize that Jesus had four kind of meetings? He had the community meeting where he tried to get everybody in the community and the, he tried to everybody pull them all in, the 5,000. He talked to them in parables. Not a lot of confrontation, a little bit, just enough to get your, your conscience sparked. Then he had the 70, which were the workers. Then he had the 12. And the fourth meeting was the three. Those that were going to be his future senior leadership. James was the first one, Peter was the second one, John was the last one. And then we went into the other leaders in the New Testament. There were apostles. This is a 70, 12, and 3 meeting. You don't tell somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus, give yourself to your gift. They're still wondering if they're saved. They, they, they just got through smoking a reefer before they came to church. They were watching pornography last night at 1 o'clock and they finally got convicted and came to church. You can't say, give yourself to your gift. But to you people, it's a totally different thing. Now I'm going to tell some of you today, you're making somebody else's walk with God your measuring point about what is Christian. You're looking out of your peripheral vision as long as I keep up with them, I'm okay. On judgment day, God measures you by the potential he put inside of you, not the people's potential around you. He doesn't measure you by the people that are around you. He measures you by the potential and the gifts that he put inside of you. Years ago, I just got tired of fooling with fools in the church. I just got tired of being irritated and spit on and rejected for my gift. And for a couple of years, I went on autopilot because I was in business. I didn't backslide. I was still on fire. But I wasn't going full tilt. I was going in the right direction, but I was on cruise control. And the Spirit of God addressed me and he said, Kevin, you're five years behind the schedule I have for you. You're five years behind my developmental schedule for you. I was in my early 30s. And when it, when it hit me, I began to panic. I began to have stress inside of me because it was created by the rhema of God. It was created by a word of awakening to me. And I began to repent. I said, God, what shall I do? He says, you've been measuring yourself by the people around you, not the potential I put inside of you. He says, how dare you measure them? By what I put in you because they don't have the, grif- the grace gift I gave you. You've been called the nations. They've been called to a box. They've been called to a city. You've been called to affect nations. And I knew it, but I just got tired. And I wasn't giving myself to my gift. I wasn't fasting and praying and really walking away from just mundane things. Everybody say, others can. Others can. I, cannot. I cannot. Others may. I may not. Because of the call of God on your life, there are some things that are legal, but they're not lawful for you. Because of the calling of God in your life. 
There are places you can't go, people you can't be with. Why? Because it's not going to help your gift. And then the Lord said to me, he said, Kevin, if you will repent and seek me, I will accelerate your life in the next two and a half years. Now, I'm five years behind his schedule. That's what I feel in my heart. In two and a half years, I'll be seven and a half years behind schedule if I don't do anything. He said, but I will super accelerate your growth in me in the next two and a half years. I'll grow you seven and a half years in the next two and a half years. And I repented in the next two and a half years. I had open visions. I had dreams. I'd open my Bible. I had so much revelation. It was like I was taking a drink from a fire hose. But I was being caught up to where I should have been with God. See, God is convicting some people here today. You know the principles of God, but you need a real visitation of the nature of God. Our prayer and heart's desire is that today's message has caused you to see Jesus more clearly, causing you to become a better disciple, walking in both wisdom and power in your generation. For further information about Kevin's ministry, books, tapes, or to have him come to your church or conference, call or write Key Ministries, Post Office Box 10357, Pensacola, Florida, 32524, or on the web at kevinleal.com. You can call our offices at 850-475-8877. Our prayers that the Holy Spirit will water this word and cause it to grow in your life.